Jesus. What a beautiful name that is. Savior, friend. Lord, we are calling on you this morning and asking that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal a little bit more of how beautiful you really are, that you would help us to be inspired to greater heights of love, that you would stir in us a desire to trust your promises more than we've ever trusted them before. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us through your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Edmund Chen boarded the plane from Taiwan, headed to Los Angeles. As he was there on the plane, he was in about row 51 on the plane. It's a normal flight. I don't know how many of you have flown overseas, but when you're flying overseas, a lot of people are sleeping, you know, a lot of people uh, just try to pass the time as quickly as they, they can by sleeping or watching something. But this flight suddenly became very exciting midway across the Pacific Ocean. Suddenly, over the intercom, there was some commotion in the rows in front of him, and over the intercom, they began to ask for a doctor to come back. And as they asked for a doctor to come back, he began to see that there was a lady there in that row, and pretty soon he realized that this lady was about to have her baby. She was about eight months pregnant, and and having a wife who's about eight months pregnant, I cannot imagine what was going on on this plane at this point. They were there, and the the flight attendants began to come around, and thankfully, there was a doctor, Dr. Zen. She's from Los Angeles. She was a a medical uh, internist, so she had never delivered a baby before, but she got her first chance on this flight, and I'll show you some of the videos from the news clips as the flight attendants donned masks, and as they had these masks on, they began to put blankets up around this row, trying to give her at least a little bit of privacy so that, that... People wouldn't uh, be able to see what's going on. And the doctor said that, she said that the flight attendants stepped right in. They just became my nurses in action. They they began to to go and get scissors for me. And they sterilized the scissors. And they would, uh, here's some some video clips of it. And they brought the scissors back. And they, uh, you see all of them have masks on there. The blankets are up. They're trying to to hide there. And there you'll see the, the little baby was delivered at some 30 plus thousand feet over the Pacific Ocean. This is Edmund Chen, who was just a few rows back videotaping with his cell phone. said he'd never been that close to a, a, a delivery before. But they tried to reroute the plane to Anchorage, Alaska, and they ended up going to Anchorage, Alaska, but the baby was born beforehand and taken to a hospital in Anchorage, and then they continued their flight to Los Angeles. Now, Being a father with a baby who's on the way, I've decided something. We're not going on any plane flights. We are not going to China. In fact, we even talked about our Christmas plans. We said, okay, so my parents are coming to Sacramento. Should we just go up and be with my family up in Sacramento? We said, no, we're not even driving to Sacramento. We're going to stay right here as near to Twin Cities and Sierra Vista, whatever hospital. And we're going to stay near our doctor because to travel when you're pregnant, when you are in the very final stages of pregnancy, is not a smart thing to do. Can we all agree on that this morning? All right. Praise God that it worked out for, her name was Jean, I think if I pronounce it right. Her baby was born okay. But to travel while pregnant is a difficult thing. In fact, there are a lot of difficulties involved with pregnancy. 
Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. I hadn't realized what you mothers go through before. I just want to say a thank you to mothers. Christmas should be a time when we celebrate what mothers have done for humanity uh, on many different levels. But specifically, we celebrate what took place in a town of Nazareth. Luke chapter 1 And we'll go to verse 30. Now, in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Mary. And in verse 30, the angel begins talking to Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, no wonder she tells him not to be afraid. Having a baby is a big deal. As, as a man looks at this, it, it could be a fearful thing. But to her, this was a grand and glorious calling, really. Verse 32, notice the language that the angel uses here, because this will come in later. He will be what? He will be great, not just any baby. And then what does it say? And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the, what does it say? The throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's no wonder that in verse 34, Mary answers and says to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Not just how how is it that I'm going to have a baby. That's an incredible thing. But I'm going to have a baby. All of these incredible things are going to happen. This is just too big For a human mind to comprehend. But notice what the angel answers. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for for her who is called barren. And then read verse 37 with me, okay? Everybody read this verse with me. For for with God, nothing will be impossible. My question this morning is, do I really believe that? Do you really believe that? Nothing is impossible with God? Can a virgin have a baby? Can a virgin's baby become the king of kings, a peasant girl's baby sit on the throne of David. Interestingly enough, here in the Greek when you read this, for with God nothing will be impossible, it's actually using a Greek uh, phrase that basically says, for with God not any word will be impossible. It doesn't say anything, but it says any word very specifically. And we can see this in the response of Mary. Notice how she responds. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, this Christmas, I want to invite you, and not only this Christmas, but on a daily basis, to pray this prayer. Let it be to me according to your word. According to your promises, you've promised so many amazing and magnificent things. Let it be to me according to your word. I want for you to accomplish your promises, your commands, all that's written in scripture. I want for that to become a reality in my life. 
even though it seems absolutely impossible. And for Mary, just to conceive seemed impossible. But how about some of the bigger promises that were there in Scripture? How about that the baby was to be born in Bethlehem? Now, where did the angel appear to, Na- to, to Mary? I almost said it. In Nazareth. She's a peasant girl. We know this. I mean, at one point, she has some sort of connection to the priestly family. She's related to Elizabeth and Zacharias. But we know that they are a very poor family because at the dedication, they offer not a lamb, but what the poorest of the poor would offer. They didn't even have a lamb. Now, to give you an idea what the trip is like, Nazareth is way up in the hill country in Galilee. Okay, so this is about... 80 miles from Jerusalem and about 80 to 100 miles, depending on the route that you take, from Bethlehem, which is about five miles from Jerusalem. So you are nine months pregnant. Imagine going on a journey of 80 miles. Now, in the pictures of the nativity, what do they usually picture that they're doing as they travel? You have Joseph walking along, and what's Mary doing? She's riding along on a donkey. And I don't know, I wasn't there. But if they can't even afford a lamb for their dedication, do you think that Joseph can afford a donkey for his wife to ride on from Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Probably not so likely. Can you imagine what it's like for Mary and Joseph to think about what they're called to do? They're called to go on a journey, a journey that was fraught with danger, not just because Mary is nine months pregnant and she's going to be walking, and that's one of the main things you do, I hear, to, to, to deliver early. My sister-in-law just was wanting to have her baby come out as soon as possible this past week, and so she went on a lot of long walks in order to hopefully get the baby ready to come out. I know some of our doctors keep telling me, you can't do anything. The baby comes when it wants to come. But she was trying to get it out. So imagine walking 90 miles, nine months pregnant. How incredibly scary would that be? But not only that, Josephus tells us that on this path, the path would go along the Jordan River and it would go through these forests that had lions that people would get attacked by when they traveled there. To take this journey by yourself when you're pregnant, with your wi- when your wife's pregnant, would be an incredibly dangerous thing. And you can also tell that, that they're not just going there in order to have the baby, but the fact is that they're still there when the Magi come, which could have been a, almost two years later. And when they come back from their flight to Egypt, they try to go back to Bethlehem and not to Nazareth at first. So they have actually have the intention of moving to Bethlehem. They're taking up roots from Nazareth. They're leaving Nazareth behind, and they're starting off a whole new life as Mary is nine months pregnant. Can you see how difficult this is? And as if it weren't bad enough, things get worse, it seems, in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 It says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Great. Right? So now that oppressive power, that that emperor who's greedy and self-focused, living 2,000 miles away, has just decided that this is the perfect time 
for everybody to go and to be enrolled in their city of birth. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened. There was a number of different uh, decrees that were for a census for an enrollment that took place during Caesar Augustus' reign. And sometimes it took years in order for that decree to make its way around to the different provinces of Rome. So you imagine some monarch sitting on his throne 2,000 miles away makes this decree. Who was this guy anyway? I want to backtrack with you just a little bit to the year 44 BC. That's about 40 years before Jesus was born. And in the year 44 BC, a guy by the name of Julius Caesar was on the throne in Rome. Julius Caesar had done much to increase the power of Rome, but people weren't too happy with him. Some people said it was partially because of some of the claims that he had to a a divine nature, and people ended up assassinating Julius Caesar. And when Julius Caesar was assassinated, in his will, he actually willed for his nephew by the name of Octavian to become his son. So he was adopted after Julius died to become the son of Julius Caesar. Octavian therefore became Caesar Octavian. You following along? I know this is a lot of history and a lot of names, but get this. Julius's nephew is now apparent heir, except for that there are people who tried to kill Julius. Does that make sense? There are enemies there. And so what does Octavian do? Octavian, who we later come to know as Augustus Caesar, decides that he will throw games to celebrate what took place with Julius's life. And as they're celebrating, they're having these big festivities, these big games. You can imagine the the drunken things that often took place at Roman parties. All of a sudden, up in the sky appears a comet. In the middle of, and for you and I, we'd be like, okay, let's look on the NASA website and let's see why there's a comet going over. But to them, and at first they called it a star. For the first 20 years after it happened, they were calling it a star that appeared. But this star appeared, and as a, 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 uh, a century later, a Roman historian writes, For during the first games which Augustus his heir consecrated to his memory, this is in the year 45, 44 AD, or BC, a comet blazed for seven days together, rising always about 11 o'clock, and it was supposed to be the soul of Caesar." now received into heaven, for which reason, likewise, he is represented on his statue with a star on his brow. So you imagine the superstitious beliefs of the Romans are stirred up when all of a sudden they're having this celebration of this guy named Julius Caesar, and they see this comet across, and for seven days this comet is going across, and they're saying, clearly, this means that his soul is going up to heaven, and he has become divine. In fact, I'll show you a few coins that depict just what this historian is talking about. Here's a coin that was minted of Julius Caesar, and you see what he's talking about. You see the star that's right on the crown there? That's a star representing that star that appeared. They call, the, they call it today Caesar's Comet that, that kept going around and eventually disintegrated, they believe, because we haven't seen it for some years. But this star was there on that coin. Later on, Augustus began to take advantage of this. In fact, I want to show you some coins that Augustus himself minted. 
This is Caesar Augustus, his nephew. He minted this coin. On one side, you see Caesar, Julius Caesar. On the other side, can you see there, coming down from the top is a comet. It has flames coming off of it. It's clearly representing that moment when they believed that Julius became divine. And Augustus used this very carefully. You remember that he had enemies, Brutus and others, who had killed his uncle. And he needed to defeat them, and he needed to get the people behind him. And what better way to do that than to convince them that he is God? And so he began to use the title Phileas, Divi Phileas, son of God in Latin. This is Caesar Augustus. He begins to use this word, this term, Divius Phileus. I'm the son of God. A star appears, and suddenly you have a guy going around saying, I am the son of God ruling this empire. That is why I have a right to the throne, because I am a son of God. You should take care to follow after me, because I am the son of God. And before long, he begins to fight with others in the empire, and eventually he takes over the entire empire, and the whole Roman empire is is his. And then he goes to the Senate, and he was a very tricky fellow. He didn't want people to look at him as trying to be worshipped. And so they began to take names to to vote on for what they should call him, and he wasn't happy with dictator. They They didn't call him emperor, but they called him Augustus, which basically means reverenced basically meaning worshipped. Here you have a guy named Caesar Augustus who shows up in the story of a little peasant girl named Mary who's pregnant with a child, not from her husband, but through the Holy Spirit, who God has promised in Micah 5 and verse 2. Let's go there really fast again. Let's look at Micah 5 and verse 2. What was the promise of God that was to take place Where was the Messiah to be born? Micah 5 and verse 2. We looked at it last week. But you, what is the first, what is the town? Bethlehem, Ephratah. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, just a tiny little town. Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He's always been coming. We saw this last week. If you missed last week, we talked about how his genealogy reveals that he showed up for Tamar in the midst of all the mess of Genesis chapter 38, in the midst of prostitution and craziness that happened in her life. For Rahab, the harlot, Jesus showed up. He showed up for Ruth, the Moabitess. He showed up for Bathsheba and David in the midst of all of that treacherous story. Jesus is the one who has always been coming, but at Christmas we remember that he came to be born as a baby for you and I. That he came to take in that family history so that you and I could know for a fact that though our families may be filled with mess, Jesus' family was too. Though we may feel like we've inherited a whole bunch of baggage in our lives, Jesus had as much experience of that as any of us had. And that is the power of what took place in Bethlehem. Go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. 
This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Luke is the historian who details all the different things to make sure that we can get the details. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. There's different theories about why this took place. Some believe that this was Herod's way of implementing what Caesar Augustus had decreed in order that people might accept it, using a Jewish way of having a census. We're not sure exactly why. But do you see what's happening here? You have a mother who's nine months pregnant, living in Nazareth, who needs to make a 90-mile journey. And to do that alone, to do, the, to do that in a normal circumstances would be incredibly difficult. But God arranges for people to begin to travel throughout the empire, for it to become a safe time to travel. And Joseph and Mary likely were able to join one of these caravans and to go on a journey. Can you imagine, in the midst of all of that, how frustrated people are? How many of you enjoy April each year when tax day comes around? I see zero hands raised. There must be none of you that work for the IRS. So, you can imagine how much fun this was to the Jews. They weren't supporting their government. They weren't giving their taxes so that their government could be enriched. They were giving their taxes to the Romans. The people that they hated. The people that they couldn't stand. The people that mistreated them. They were giving their taxes to a a foreign dictatorship that was just something that they hoped that the Messiah would come to deliver them from. In your life, you are going to face difficult and trying circumstances. In your life, you probably have faced things that are incredibly difficult, situations which look incredibly bleak, darkness surrounding you, and you can't see how God could be working in any of this. You might look at the world of politics. You might look at, at our government today. You might look at our government in the past. You might look at our government in the future. You might look at how things are happening with your job, with your boss, with people that you have no control over who are oppressing you in your life. And you might say, man, how is God going to take this and work it out for good in my life? But here's the beautiful thing that we learn from the story of Mary and Joseph, two newlyweds who needed to make it from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God can take an arrogant dictator who lived 2,000 miles away, an emperor by the name of Caesar Augustus, who his entire goal in taking a census was to help people to see how great he had become. And also to bring in taxes so that they could be enriched. He would be able to report how many thousands of people there were around his empire. How many millions of people there were. This was his goal to make himself greater. He'd taken on the claim of being the son of God. And he wanted to get greater power and greater recognition. And in the midst of his grasping for power, God was working behind the scenes. In the midst of what was clearly not ordained for, that clearly was not the way that God wants for people to act, God was turning things around for good. God really can work all things together for good in your life, including oppressive governments, including craziness in the world around you. God can take all of the darkness that may be pressing in around you, and if you will cling to his promises, 
you can know that he will see you through. Look at what it says in the book Desire of Ages about this guy, Caesar Augustus. Desire of Ages, page 44, says, As in old times, Cyrus was called to the throne of the world's empire, that he might set free the captives of the Lord. So Caesar Augustus is made the agent for the fulfillment of God's purpose in bringing the mother of Jesus to Bethlehem. Isn't that awesome? God can take, and he can take an emperor on the throne in Rome. And he can give him this idea, and maybe he didn't give him the idea, but he can take his decree and use it to be just the right timing, just the right way to bring Mary and Joseph all the way to Bethlehem. Something that would have been so impossible for them to do in their own. That is the kind of God you serve who can take the most bleak of circumstances, the most difficult situations that you face, and he can turn them around for good in your life. God is the one who arranges for governments and nations and powers to work so that a peasant girl and her husband can make a trip 80 to 90 miles away. God cares about little people. God cares about you sitting here in Templeton. God cares about what you are going through. He cares about the problems that you are facing. And he can arrange circumstances in the entire world to enable you to see how good he really is. That's what the story of Bethlehem tells us. That we can trust in the God of the universe to see us through even when everything looks incredibly bleak. What was the prayer that Mary had prayed in, Micah, in, in Luke chapter 1? Do you remember the prayer? Let it be to me according to your word. Let's go ahead and say that. Can you say it? Let it be to me according to your word. I want you to imagine two different scenarios, because we don't really know what took place for Mary and Joseph. We know that they needed to make it from Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But we don't know if they were familiar with the promise in Micah 5.2 that said out of Bethlehem would come a ruler. We don't know if they were expecting that they needed to travel to Bethlehem. We're not sure of it. So there's two different possibilities. If they had no idea that God had prophesied that this was going to take place, how would they feel about this census and this need for Mary to travel at nine months pregnant to walk 80 to 90 miles to get to Bethlehem? How would they feel about it? What are some emotions that might be going through their mind? What was it? They'd be upset. Man, I can't stand this government. Outraged. They'd be extremely upset. What other feelings might they be feeling? Overwhelmed. How could this be happening to us? I think there might be a little fear, a little bit of being terrified. We really have to make this journey now. This can't be. We, this is so out of our control. We can't do this. But if they did believe and know the prophecies and promises of the Bible... If they knew Micah 5 and verse 2, Jesus, the angel had appeared to Mary and told her that you're going to have Jesus and, and he's going to sit on the throne of David. And if they'd known that prophecy that out of Benjamin would come a ruler, out of Bethlehem would come a ruler, then they would be expecting that that's what God wanted to do. And then how do you think, what emotions would they be feeling when suddenly this decree comes and people are like, I know this is terrible, I hate to tell you this, but... 
you've got to take your pregnant wife 90 miles away to Bethlehem. How do you think that they would feel if they expected that the baby needed to be born in Bethlehem? Would they be excited? They might have a little bit of faith. They might have a little expectation. Look at what God's doing. He just got Caesar Augustus, that crazy emperor who calls himself the son of God on the other side of the planet. He just got him to make this decree so that we could go on this journey. How awesome is this? There's two different ways that we can face life. On the one hand, we can be terrified. We can be outraged. We can be upset by the circumstances and situations that we face. Or on the other hand, we can let God's promises and his word inform how we face life and we can believe that God works together all things for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. We can cling to his promises. We can cling to the prophecies. And when we see the world going crazy around us, we can believe that we have a savior in Jesus who's coming back to take us home. There's two different options. And the power comes through the promises of the Word of God. I want you to turn to 1 Peter, where we learn about something that Peter discovered in his own life. 1 Peter chapter 1, a disciple of Jesus writing to the church in general. And he writes in 1 Peter chapter 22, chapter 1 and verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. What we are called to as Christians, I want to propose to you today, is far more difficult than being nine months pregnant and traveling 80 to 90 miles. You are called to love one another fervently. That means to unselfishly look out for the people around you and to care more about their lives than your life. That means to unselfishly minister to them, care for them, uh, serve them, like we talked about last week, maybe even throwing birthdays for prostitutes. We don't know what it might call you to, but God is calling you to reach out to the unreachable in your life, to love them, to show them that God is good. That's a high calling. And that It's far more difficult, in my opinion, than traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, being nine months pregnant. So it says, since you have purified your souls, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Yeah, that's an impossible calling. Thankfully, it goes on in verse 23. Having been, what does it say? Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This Christmas, you're called to have a rebirth. You are called to have what Colossians 1.27 says is the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. You are called to, just like Mary, have a rebirth of Jesus inside of you so that you can represent his loving character to the world around you. You remember how Caesar Augustus began to mint coins and to call himself the divine son of God. He began to to point out that he was, he tried to grasp for divinity. He tried to grasp being the son of God. But look at what it says in verse 24. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and his flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. God is faithful. 
His promises are faithful. That's why it's important that we pour over the word of God, that we get to know this God who loves us more than his own existence, that we take time with him, that we begin to trust him. Because life will become so much more bearable when we know his promises and his prophecies about what is coming on this planet. When we can trust him as the God who cares about our lives. When we know his promises, we have incredible uh, assurance of what he'll do in our lives. In the book Desire of Ages, it says this, page 431, if you have faith like this, you will lay hold upon God's word. You'll grab a hold of those promises for yourself and upon all the helpful agencies he has appointed. This is about God's faithfulness, not about our faithfulness. Mary was incapable of making that journey, but God arranged for a a heathen emperor to pave the way for her to get to Bethlehem. And upon all the helpful agencies he has appointed, thus your faith will strengthen and will bring to your aid the power of heaven. The obstacles that are piled by Satan across your path, though apparently as insurmountable as the eternal hills, shall disappear before the demand of faith. Nothing will be impossible unto you. If we will only pray the prayer of Mary, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. The promise of the angel to Mary will be true. No word will be impossible for you. He will fulfill every promise. Not one of his promises has ever failed. And if you will only cling to the faithfulness of who he is, you can count that he will see you through any and every trial that you may face in your life. Caesar Augustus, I want to say, actually turned out to be a fraud. At the end of his life, on his deathbed, he said something that, that basically was talking about the great plays that they had of the day in talking about his own life. He said this at the very end of his life. He said, have I played the part well? What is he saying? Have I been a good actor? Have I gone on the stage and, and pretended? Friends, if coming to church, if that's what it's all about, how we dress up, how we look on the outside, then we're no different than Caesar Augustus in taking the name of Christ on ourselves. What we're looking for is a deeper change than that. Have I played the part well? Then applaud as I exit. Cheer me on because I have acted out well in my life. Friends, God is calling you to something deeper and something far more beautiful than that. Education, page 258, says this, for the pardon of sin, for the Holy Spirit, for a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do his work. Those are some huge things that we're asking for in our time of prayer, isn't it? To ask God for pardon of sin, to ask him for the Holy Spirit, to ask him to be like Jesus, a Christ-like temper, for wisdom and strength to do his work, for any gift he has promised. We may ask And then we are to believe that we receive and return thanks to God that we have received. Friends, I'm learning that giving birth is a dangerous and difficult thing. My wife is on the verge of that, but I've actually witnessed it just this past week. This past week, we got a call at 4 a.m. in the morning. 4 a.m., we get this call. Leah's sister says, my water has broken. I'm headed to the hospital. So 
thankfully Monday's my day off, and we said, let's hop in the car at five, like 4.35 in the morning, and let's head up there to the hospital to see what happens. I don't know why I do that when I'm expecting twins myself, because it's a scary thing. So we get to the hospital, and, and Emily's a very calm and cool and collected type of person, and she's sitting there. She actually was an OB nurse herself at one point, now works in other areas of nursing. She's sitting there, and she's kind of napping, but periodically, she's, we thought she was asleep, but periodically, she'd be like, go call the nurse. Do you hear that? The, the heartbeat slowed down. And so the first time, Eric runs out, and he gets the nurse. She comes back. They try adjusting Emily around and getting her in a different position. They're like, oh, it's probably fine. And so then she goes back to just resting there. Another hour or so passes by, and we're Eric and I were talking about, what do you think? It'll be two in the afternoon when the baby comes, maybe like 12. We're trying to figure it all out. This is going to be so much fun. She's going to have a baby. This is exciting. But then another time, there's a deceleration, and the heartbeat begins to go dip really low. And so they go and get the nurses again. She comes in. She's getting a little more concerned. But after that, both uh, the mother, Leah's mom and, and Eric had to go do something in another part of the hospital, and we thought it was going to be a while till the baby was born. And then, again, the heart decelerates on the baby on the monitor. We hear the, the heartbeat slowing down, and Emily says, go call the nurse. And so this time, it's only me there. So I'm like, okay, I'll go call the nurse. And, and Leah was there, but she stayed with her. So I went and I called the nurse, and the nurse looks up at the monitor. She's like, oh, okay, okay, I'll come back in. She comes back in. And I went to the waiting room at this point, being the smart brother-in-law that I am, and I didn't stay there. Uh, they did some checking and working, and for before long, I get text messages. Okay, they're calling the doctor now. And I run into my mother-in-law. I'm like, you should probably get in there. I think that things are happening pretty fast. I didn't know if Eric was going to make it back, but thankfully he made it back. And before long, they had delivered the baby. But as Leah's texting me, she says, pray that the baby breathes. Because the doctor, as she's delivering the baby, she says, this is insane. Because the baby's umbilical cord was wrapped around its neck, not once, not twice, but three times. It's called a triple nuchal cord, I understand. And it happens in about 0.5% of pregnancies. And they're usually delivered via C-section. But she delivered the other way. You can imagine... The terror in hearts, just looking at that baby, is he going to breathe? I want to put up a picture of little Elliot moments after he'd been born, and you'll notice something. He's crying, and he's pink. That means he's breathing. The blood is circulating through his body. A little bit later, Leah and I got to hold him, and so I'll put up a picture of him, and then a little bit closer up picture of baby Elliot. Having a baby... Is way more complicated than I realized. <laughs> Becoming a dad, I've realized that this is a big deal. There's a lot that could go wrong in having a baby. Babies don't just appear via the stork. Babies come in a miraculous way. And in the same way in your life, it takes an absolute miracle based on the promises of God for Christ to be born in you. It takes knowing the promises, knowing the prophecies, knowing His faithfulness, trusting that He is who He says He is. And if you really believe it, if you really trust in His faithfulness, 
He really is going to see you through any and every situation that you face. He is that faithful. He is that trustworthy because he really is the Son of God. He's not just claiming that title, but he has ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven. And you have great confidence today in the Savior who was born in Bethlehem that he will see you through any and every situation that you face. Would you just bow your heads with me? And as you bow your heads, one, I just want to ask you um, just to consider in your own heart the faithfulness of the promises of God. He did it for Mary in taking her from Nazareth and getting her to Bethlehem so that that tiny little promise in Micah 5.2 could be fulfilled. If you want to just trust his promises more than you've ever trusted them before, just go ahead and raise your hand. Just raise it to Jesus and just say, God, it's a desire I have. I'd like to trust you more. You can go ahead and put your hands down. This morning, if you want to not only just trust him, but get to know why you should trust him, maybe that means for you to take some time memorizing those promises. Maybe it takes digging a little deeper into the prophecies so that you know what to expect and you can have confidence in your Savior. Maybe it just means opening your Bible and reading it every day. But if you want to know those promises a little bit better, that Word of God, which will never fail, just raise your hand again as I pray. Father in heaven, we raise our hands and just ask that you would stir in us a greater trust, a greater love that is based on your promises, your faithfulness, that you are the king of the universe who threw off all of the glory to come close to us. You're not like emperors who grasp for power, but you use those emperors for your greater glory. Father, may we trust you, whether it's governments that we're afraid of or whether it's our family that challenges us, whether it's that next-door neighbor who's difficult to love. Oh God, we pray For Christ in us, the hope of glory to be born in us through your rich and mighty promises. Thank you, Jesus, that this is your desire and that we believe this will happen in your timing, in your way, even though circumstances may look as bleak as they looked for Joseph and Mary. Lord, we cling to your promises. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.